and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And I'm my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Dr. Scott Keith, and we just have a fascinating conversation on being dad. It's a book that I read um, recently, and I was challenged by it, and just an insightful book. He he talks about the story of the prodigal son from an angle and a perspective that, you know, I grew up in the church, and, and I've read that story in the Bible multiple, multiple multiple times and at the same time just interesting to hear his perspective on the reality of the father and the picture of the father in that story in the bible and what that's that's what we all desire to be i I think the the keystone moment for me is when i was reading the book and then the conversation with him again was the idea that none of us desire to be the younger son none of us uh, desire to be the older brother at the same time, um, we desire to be the father and that idea of being grace giving and full of love and how that is a picture of, of Christ in our lives. And at the same time, what we want to be as earthly fathers, um, not permissive. And he'll address that. It doesn't mean that we're permissive. At the same time, it means that we're grace giving and we're restorative rather than um, punitive um, in a relationship with our children and in the relationship with the people around us. Just a phenomenal, insightful um, conversation with him and really appreciate him being on the podcast with us with us today. Do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and uh, take the questions you sit in, you curate those and try to correspond them with uh, the questions to the subject of the interview. And uh, just get to, I get to sit down and learn from Dick. Really appreciate him, his wisdom and his insight and experience and his willingness to share those with us. Um, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with someone that I feel like I know because I, I've read his book uh, more than once. And as I was going back and forth and back and forth, um, but Dr. Scott Keith, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. It's great to be on. Scott, this technology uh, always uh, always amazes me that it, you're in Africa and I'm in Arkansas and. We're having a podcast. Exactly. And it works. So uh, today, so no birds yet in the background, no monkeys uh, chirping in the window and my dog barking at them. So uh, we're, we're, we're batting a thousand so far. So would you go ahead? Grandchildren barging in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that might be, that might be another possibility. So (laughs) could you go ahead and share just a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Uh, sure. Um, I'm the executive director of 1517 over at 1517.org, 1517.org. I am a father, a grandfather, a husband, um, an uncle. I'll sort of, I always, I always like to sort of get the family ties in first because yeah. for me, they're the, they're the absolutely most important. Sure. Um, I also host a podcast called the thinking fellows podcast. We, uh, with my buddy, Dr. Adam Francisco, and lately my my son, um, Caleb Keith. Well, now he's been on the show the whole time, but he started out as a producer and now as a host. Um, and we talk about philosophy, apologetics, theology, history, sometimes culture, but we try to stay you know, far away from culture war stuff as yeah. much as possible. Um, and then I also adjunct a professor at Concordia University in Irvine, where I teach in their Master's of Reformation Theology program. Wow. Wow. Very cool. And where did you grow up at? I grew up in Palmdale, California, wow. um, which is a 
aerospace community. Um, okay. If I were to step out my front door in Palmdale and look across the desert field, I would see Northrop Grumman and Lockheed, where my grandfather worked at the Skunk Works plant, which developed the SR-71 and a couple wow. other planes, which is why my family moved to Palmdale. Okay. So that's where I grew up. When I was growing up, it was an almost nothing town. In fact, I remember when we got a Kmart, we were all very, <laughs> very excited. Um, but Blue it's light now, um, oh yeah, it's, it's now a, a population center. Like I drive through there and I can't believe how much stuff and how many people there are. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Do you want to go ahead and jump into, um, the, your book, um, being dad and, uh, you share in that, in the book about you spent part of your life trying to fill the void of being fatherless and how that impacts a man's psyche. Can you share a little bit about your journey with that? Sure. Um, my dad died when I was two years old. Um, mm-hmm. I, my mom was very young. Um, she must've been, let me think here, probably 21 when my dad died. So, um, and you know, I, it's, it's an interesting thing not to have a memory of your father, which I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but to sort of have, when that happens, you often have sort of the myth of your father, um, mm-hmm. the other people, knew him and know him much better than you ever could or will. Um, and so that was sort of me. Um, when my dad died, we were moving, we were living up in Northern California and my mom very wisely, I think moved us back down to where she grew up, Palmdale, where her entire family was. My grandmother and grandfather were four blocks away. My aunts and uncles were in the same town or the adjoining town. Um, and so for me, I, I knew very young that there was a big hole there. Um, Mm. and it's not that my mom didn't do a good job. My mom did a phenomenal job. She was Mm. and is uh, a great mother and grandmother and now great grandmother. Um, but it was just that there's something missing there. You know, you can see when your friends have dads and when your cousins have dads and, um, when everybody at school has a dad, you can see there that they're, you're not learning uh, some of the stuff that they're learning. You're not experiencing some of the things that they're experiencing. And it's, and I'd say even um, there's sort of a psychological hole that you can't really explain too. Mm. that. You just, you just know something's missing. And so I, uh, I very, I mean, and my mom was very good at this too. Um, found sort of these days you just call them mentors, right. To sort of come alongside me. My grandfather was, of course, the first one. That's why we moved back down there. Um, taught me my love for airplanes and for camping. Tried to teach me love for fishing, but it didn't stick until my <laughs> until my son looked at me a few years ago and said, "With that look you got going on, there's no way you can't be a fisherman." So uh, you probably got you probably got something there. So, um, and then my grandfather actually died when I was pretty young too. He died when I was hmm. ten, and um, then my uncle Rick who had been a big part of my life. I'd say uh, my uncle Rick was along with my mother. The, the reason probably that I'm still a Christian or that I am a Christian because he, my mom sent me to a Lutheran grammar school where, you know, you're getting, (laughs) you're getting Bible every day there. And uh, so that was awesome. And, but my uncle Rick was the one that made sure that we made it. My mom took us to church, but he'd show, he'd show up in his VW bus and, take my brother and I to Sunday school and to every sort of church play practice and church cleanup day and, you know, everything like that. But, uh, he and my aunt divorced when I was about 14. Hmm. And so then he was gone. And so 
um, what I, where I ended up filling a lot of that void after that was I went to go work at a Lutheran slash Christian camp up in the mountains, uh, at the age of 15. Hmm. And there I met program directors and directors and camp counselors that really, uh, provided a very, very strong, um, male slash fatherly influence, which pretty much lasted me. Cause I kept going back to work at that camp until I got to college. And then, um, in college, I met people like Dr. Ronald Rosenblatt and I, I mean, a, a whole list, um, yeah. in my, in my doctoral program, Dr. Jim Nestigan, who, because he's sort of from that particular tradition, you actually get to call your doctor father. Right. Yeah. So, it, yeah. um, you know, very cool. That, very that's cool. it for me. And I mean, the, and these men taught me what it is to be a man. Um, especially some of the guys at camp when I was growing up and you're a teenager, I was getting in a bunch of fights at school and stuff like that. And, um, I know that's surprising by looking at me, but it's true. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of, they, they brought me back to focus not only on what it means to be gracious and kind and be a man, um, but also what it means to have a strong Christian faith that, that, you know, trust in Jesus. And then at the end of the day, that's the big things taken care of then. And the rest is sort of, you know, you're figuring out how to love and serve one another here on earth. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And that kind of leads me to my, my second question for you. You use the story of the two lost sons and a father in the middle, and you share the definition of masculinity, which is kind of what you've just described there as quiet confidence and strength of character um, that finds expressions expression as graciousness. Could you share just about how you've arrived at that definition and, um, and how it kind of flies honestly in the face of the passive man um, that our kind of our society and media and the world kind of promotes at the present time? Is, is that a, a fair question? Yeah, no, we we're at an interesting, <clears throat> I, in fact, I'd say we're actually at a societally, societally, a, a different point as far as how we look at men and masculinity now, then even when I wrote the book, which to mm. me doesn't seem like that long ago, but yeah. you know, things change so quickly now that, um, yeah. or maybe at a different point when I wrote the book, we were definitely sort of in the era of the Gillette commercial, you know, where, um, sort of super passive. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we are now. I'd, I'd say we're kind of more in a, um, maybe back to, a just, men or men fathers slash are just unnecessary we might hmm. that might be where we are now and i find that all you know i can tell you from my experience it's not true hmm. <laughs> um number one i can tell you from the data it's not true yeah um i've i've often thought about the fact that you know you you could name any problem that you think society or the church has now and it could likely uh, the the remedy could, could likely be as easy as fathers being more involved in their children's lives. Wow. You know, so, but, um, so I'm assuming their listeners are, and I will assume that, that they're familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Um, yeah. you know, the, the point of, of sort of my explanation of it in being dad, um, is that you get a real interesting picture of a masculine man in the father in that story one that in his own time wouldn't have likely been seen as very masculine. Um, Hmm. from the, from the beginning, he sort of gives in to the younger son, which I, I would actually write it stronger now than I did then, just because I've done a little bit more research. The, um, that would have been so 
offensive to the male society of his time that even Jesus, upon speaking it, was lit was was likely uh, in danger of his own his life for hmm. for presenting this picture of this father that allowed this younger son to walk all over him hmm. um, at the end of the day. But what you get is you get a, a picture of masculinity that is waiting and kind and gracious and forgiving. And I think the point of the story of the younger son is for you to be offended at it. And in a sort of greater sort of salvation uh, or justification point of view, the point of the story of the younger son is to really kind of connect with the fact of how patient and kind and gracious and loving God was with the whole world and then is with you on account of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you have this sort of, and it's offensive, yeah. right? How how patient God is with us on a daily daily basis on account of Christ is offensive when you see it in a story like that. But no one would call it weak, hmm. right? Because we know, and in, even in the case of the prodigal son, we know that at any moment the father could snap his fingers and change the situation completely, right? Yeah. Um then you get the story of the older son, you know, the, the petulant one that um, refuses to come in, refuses to celebrate. And you actually get the father handling it in a slightly different way. Um, I think that's likely, you know, sort of the story of the Jews um, that he's trying to tell there. Um, offended that the younger son, the Gentile, we, who are, we are, has a chance um, when he shouldn't. But the father in this picture, he's still gracious. He's still kind. He's still forgiving. But instead of allowing this thing to happen, when the older son refuses to come into the party, now we have to know that refusing to come into the party is refusing to come into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Right? Um, the Anglican theologian uh, Robert Capon describes, you know, the, he- the great heavenly feast is literally the kingdom of heaven. So the, the older son is refusing to come into the kingdom of heaven. And if, instead of just allowing this to happen like he did with the younger son, he goes out. Hmm. He's corrective. Um, he he re-identifies the younger son to the brother as his brother and not hmm. just the father's son. And then there's all sorts of pieces in there in between that are just, I mean, buy the book, read the book. I don't know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the there's all sorts of pieces in there in between that are um that you could you could squint your eyes and you could mistake for the father letting himself get walked all over, or you could look at it clearly and you could say, this is the most masculine man you've ever met. Hmm. Um, because when it's time to exert power, he exerts power. Think about when the younger son comes home and hmm. he turns to the servants, right? In a house he probably yeah. doesn't even own anymore. He turns to the servants and he starts snapping his fingers and saying, get me this, get me this, get me this, get me this, get me that. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. No questions asked. Um, so he is powerful when he needs to be powerful. He's strong when he needs to be strong, even with the physical presence. But at the end of the day, his definition is that of a father. Now, and then you have to ask, what's a father? A father is one that, that cares for, loves and forgives his family. Hmm. Um, and that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think when, when I was reading through your book, uh, I, you know, I grew up in the church. I've obviously heard the story many, many times, but I think this is probably the most reflective I've been on it. And um, you, you share that, you know, every man really wants to be the father in the story, not either of the sons. 
And I think as I yeah. thought about that, I had never really honestly contemplated that. And who who do I want to be as a man? Can you just share a little bit about that and the importance of of not wanting to be the the, the younger son or the older son, but the goal was to be to be like the father. Yeah, I think one of the one of the realizations, if you look at this in two ways, right? Sort of in regards to your salvation and your justification, one must acknowledge that you are both the younger son and the older son, yeah. right? Yeah. And that it's only because of the mercy of the Father on account of Christ that you have access to the party that is the kingdom. Yeah. Um, on the other side of that, you know, sort of as we, we in, in our tradition, we call it vocationally, when we relate to um, one another on this earth before the Lord comes again in his glory and takes us and rises the quick in the dead. And we are there with him in, in paradise before that time we're here on earth. Right. And we relate to one another and, and God has called us um, specifically to care for those people who he's literally dropped in our lives. Um, you know, our mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, wives, uh, husbands, children, grandparents, neighbors, friends, da da da. He literally dropped these people in our lives, and he's like, "Okay, now, now your job is to to serve them freely." And when we look at that, so in that context, you don't ever in that context look at the younger son and be like, "You know, I really want to be the guy that told my father I wish he was <laughs> dead," and you know, said, "Give me half of your money." Took it went off to Vegas and spent it on drugs, gambling, and prostitutes. Yeah. Nobody ever like looks at that dude and says, boy, I'd really like to be him. Um, same thing with the older son, right? Most of us who are Christians probably relate to the older son more. My son told me the other day, he's flat out the older son um, hmm. and he knows it. Hmm. And, um, you know, no, no one looks at the older son though, either. And as a father is forgiving a broken man, right, or helping a broken son, or literally, as the story says, bringing a dead son back to life, Hmm. nobody looks at that older son and wants to be just like him, says, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, why why would you be so nice to this, you know, son of yours, as the older son says? So they're on the sort of, on the horizontal plane here, as we interact with one another, neither one of these two figures are aspirational for us. Hmm. Um, they, they're just not, um, they're not in, and Jesus, as he tells the story, I don't believe intends him to be what he, what he is though, is he's giving us a picture of the heavenly father, right. In the form of a good earthly father, maybe the, the best earthly father in, in any story ever. Um, and says, this is what the father is like. Now, one of the things I think I pointed out in the book is that if Jesus tells you this is what the father is like and you're a father and you're like, boy, I really don't know how to be a father. Um, maybe say, hey, maybe Jesus was like saying, uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> there you go. I got a picture over here. Um, maybe you should listen when I say the father is like this. Hmm. Um Thomas Aquinas calls those things uh, an analogia entis or analogy of being, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we will never be as good um, as the Heavenly Father, of course. We'll, we'll never even reach it. Um, but this story, and the story will never even reach it completely because the story made up of human words. Um, of course, the power of the Spirit comes behind them, and then you have a greater understanding and all that. But at the end of the day, when Jesus says, this is what the father, the father is like, that is actually 
an analogy of being to God the Father, and that you can look at that, and you may not be able to reach the perfection, but you can at least understand the analogy. Hmm. And the analogy can then sort of give you an idea of what it means. So if, if one of the things I often say to Christians is, if all you're getting is like from your church on being a dad, well, you got to discipline your kids more, you know, raise up a child in the way you go and they won't disappoint you. If that's all you're getting, you're actually not getting the picture that came out of Christ's mouth. Wow. 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 That's, that's challenging. That's challenging. And you, so that, that kind of leads it to the, the, the next question I had for you is this idea of fatherhood and masculinity. So do you see that as different for Christians than non-Christians and, um, and how does the gospel story impact that? Um, hmm. uh, I, maybe it is different for Christians and non-Christians, but it's only because, um, we've lost such a, you know, we're in such a post-Christian society, especially in the West here hmm. now that the, the two sort of aren't even trying to line up anymore. Um, hmm. so maybe it is, you know, I, I think in culture you get a couple pictures of being a man, right? You kind of get on the masculine side, the only real pictures you get say out of the media are likely pretty toxic. Um, You get a few of the others. You know, I'm opposed to the phrase toxic masculinity while acknowledging that it exists. Mm. Um, But it doesn't exist. Uh, You know, not all masculinity is toxic. In fact, very little of it is. Mm. Um, You know, this is the, you know, on TV, this is the biker gang. This is Sons of Anarchy, right? Right. If you, whatever, you know, boy, that's pretty toxic. You know, (laughs) that's that's pretty gross. Um, I'm not sure it's real. Um, it might be in some cases and very few. Um, but when that's all you get in sort of the media culture as a description of masculine, you know, six foot four, roided out, um, you know, with chains and brass knuckles and all that stuff, it's really a confusing picture. Masculinity in itself, either for Christians or non-Christians, it has never completely been that. Um, hmm. it's, it's been you know, being strong enough to protect when you need to protect. Sure. But when that sort of one portion of masculinity is making up 98% of what you think it is to be masculine, you're off because then you have other things too. You have the father who braids his daughter's hair to get her ready for a ballet recital. You have, uh, you know, the dad teaching his child to ride a bike. Um, you have the big one, right? The dad setting reasonable expectations for his family. Yeah. Um, and for his children and for expecting those to be lived out. And when they're not lived out, um, meeting out reasonable uh, consequences for, for those infractions and then doing the biggest thing you could ever do, which is the biggest risk you could ever take, which is actually the most masculine thing you do. Cause it's the riskiest thing you could do. You could love them enough to actually forgive them, wow. to absolve them, to tell them, you know, this is what you did. This is what's going to have to happen because you did that. And I love you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you for that. Hmm. And just, if you don't think there's power when you use the name of, if masculinity to you is power, the greatest power you could ever do is express the love of Jesus Christ as in John 20 and forgive those, (laughs) you know, in your life that he's put in front of you to forgive and hmm. and watch the power of the Holy Spirit come off of your lips. As you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Wow. 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 That's, that's, that's the picture. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea of a father is a mouthpiece of, of God's grace. Um, what wisdom could you offer maybe a man that's, that's struggling um, maybe with this idea? Yeah. With being a mouthpiece of God's grace. And you've mentioned before the idea of maybe struggling with the idea of you're being permissive and that's, I don't think that's was what you're saying. But yeah. Could you just share so, a little bit more about God's grace? And then I got another one for you on similar lines. Yeah. So, um, so sometimes when you, talk about forgiveness as much as even I just did. People are like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean you let your kids get away with anything? Are you completely permissive? And every time that somebody asks that of me, I want to march my three children in here, like even as grown adults <laughs> and say, would you describe me as permissive of bad behavior? Because they'll start <laughs> laughing, you know, because it's just not the case. Yeah. Permissiveness is not forgiveness. And in our culture, the only kind of forgiveness that's ever meted out is permissiveness. Permissiveness wow. is looking over something as though it, it never happened. Hmm. Um, you know, so somebody sins greatly and you just turn your blind eye to it. Hmm. Right. And if you, if people think that that's what God's forgiveness is, they're wrong. They, they're not reading the scriptures. God doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. Right. Hmm. It, 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 he turns, uh, he, he turns his eye on it so much that when he saw it, he said something really drastic has to be done to take care of this. And he sent his only son to die for our sin. Right. Yeah. That's how, that's how, that's how not permissive he is of it. Hmm. And so, but he forgives it. Now, what does forgiving it mean? Forgiving it means that you look at it, you call it out. Like I said, even you say, here's the consequence. What does God say the consequence is? You, you shall surely die. Right? Yeah. You cast out of the garden. You shall surely die. Um, and then he goes, Genesis 3, right? But I will send the Redeemer, right? Mm. I will send the, the one who bears forgiveness on his lips. That's the picture, right? That's, that's, the, that's God's grace, right? We, we define God's grace as, as, a, as an attitude on the part of God. Uh, whereby he he no longer sees you as sinner, but sees you as justified on account of the personal work of Christ for you. Um, so that's God's grace. It's, it's not it's not a thing. It's not substance. It's not doled out by the church. It's not just a feeling. It's an actual attitude on the part of God, where he he now declares you as justified, even though you're sinner, and treats you just as he's declared you. So that's that's grace. So what is graciousness, and how does that play out in fatherhood? Well. Again, I'm not asking fathers to look over the misdeeds of their children. That's going to lead to you having horrible children. And I don't hmm. even want to go to an Applebee's in your presence, then, if that's the case. <laughs> you know, I, this is acknowledging that when your children do wrong, calling it out, meeting out the appropriate consequence, but with the intention at the end of the day of knowing that you'd still love them, that they're still your children, and that they need to hear from you mm. that grace and mercy are theirs and that forgiveness is theirs. And the way I usually wrap this up is to say this. We take kids to church, likely every Sunday, right? And we sit them down in the pews and we tell them a story about a world that was so steeped in sin that God sent his son to die for it. And that on the account of that son, that he forgives all sins everywhere for all those that repent and believe in his name, right? And, and we tell him this miraculous story, literally miraculous story of death and resurrection, just celebrated Easter, literally miraculous story of death and resurrection. And we ask him to believe this miraculous thing that the world tells him is a fiction, mm. right? 
And then we go away. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's never talked about again. It's never lived out again. It's never enacted again. What if that kind of miraculous forgiveness was enacted out in their life every now and then? How much would that support what we teach them on Sunday morning? If they do something that they think is unforgivable and your response is forgiveness, Hmm. not only have you done the right thing by your child, number one, um, not only have you supported your role as a father, number two, but you've actually given an apologetic for the gospel. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Early, earlier you shared um, about your journey and um, what can a man do that, that did not have a father or had one that was not in the picture and was not offering this sense of graciousness so that they don't repeat. Um, I think at least I think that's the idea that a lot of times we repeat what we had or what we saw. What can a man do that doesn't want to repeat that cycle with a father that you're speaking like of this father of graciousness? Well, let me, can I approach it from the other angle? Yeah. Um, I, I would approach it from the, what can older men who are listening to this podcast do? Yeah. Um, Cause it, it's, it's harder for the younger man to say, I know I need a mentor. I'm going to go find mentors. Sure. Um, um, it's, it's, and it, it's easier for older men who have time and opportunity, whose children are grown or mostly grown or whatever to recognize that at their church, they likely have young men in their midst. I would say, you know, praise be to God if there's actually still young men in the church, but um, they actually have young men in their midst who need them and to keep a sharp eye out for, for those Hmm. men Hmm. and to offer to maybe start by taking them out to breakfast. Um, I would say take them out for a beer, but I don't know your tradition. My tradition, we take them out for a beer, you know, and just ask them how their day is going, how their yeah. work is going. Yeah. The big thing that you, that these older men can do is what, if the younger men actually open up to them, they say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. I, I program video games and boy, it's been really stressful at my work right now. Tell them that you're proud of them. Tell them yeah. that's amazing work. Maybe boy, if you really want to make their day, say, I'm glad you do that. Right. Yeah. Um, it, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't know where to start with that. It's amazing that you've learned how to do that. Hmm. You will change their world. You'll change hmm. their world hmm. in a moment, in a moment. Um, if you're a younger man that needs that and you have the tenacity and the bravery to approach an older man that you respect, go for it, man. Um, but I would really encourage the older men to be the ones to make the first move. Yeah. You shared earlier too, about the impact that men had um, on your life as a younger man how can we realize those opportunities without this getting so busy and caught up that we just pass right through them? Does, does that make sense? I think when you yeah. were sharing that and I, and you share in the book about the mentors in your life, it made me reflect on maybe opportunities that I missed or opportunities that I just passed by. And how can we just become more cognizant of those opportunities to people that God places in our life? Yeah. Well, I'll say two things on that. Um, you, you probably have passed by a bunch of opportunities and, uh, you know, for the sake of Jesus, God forgives you for that. Uh, He realized, he real, he realizes that, you know, your head isn't always perfectly in the game. Um, and that's why over and over again, he, he placards Christ before you as your only hope for forgiveness. Um, beyond that, um, 
you know, it's hard. Um, because especially when you're raising your own children, um, because your life is con- rightly so in a lot of ways consumed with raising your own kids. Hmm. Um, and that that's okay. But if, if you can, you know, keep an eye out for the kid in your congregation. And I guess I'd focus there in a lot of ways because if we could, if we could do better in our churches with this, children who grow up in the church would persist in the church at a higher rate than they currently do. Um, you know, in other words, children that grow up in the church would stay in the church into adulthood at a higher rate than they, than they currently do. If men would be more involved in their lives, that's Mm. just a, that's just, it's just a hard data fact. I mean, I could go into it, but it just, it just is. Um, so keep an eye out for them in your church. You know, you're, you're going to know who they are unless you go to a big, you know, a giant church and any of the churches I've ever attended in my life, everybody knows who they are. Yeah. The dad died. There is no dad, recent divorce, whatever. Um, keep an eye out for them and just do simple things. You know, if you, if you started out with figuring out what their baseball schedule was hmm. and showing up to one or two games in a season, you know, um, I don't know. You started out by, uh, taking them camping, man, dude, dudes took me camping and that changed my life. Cause I'm a total like camping, mountain bike, hiking, living the woods nerd now. Yeah. Um, and that's because guys took me camping at the yeah. beach, took me camping in the mountains. Boy, do that. And I know in our, in our age, that's all weird and all, but it, it doesn't have to be, hmm. you know, we, we accept that it's weird. We accept <laughs> that every, uh, grown man to, to, you know, teenager or younger man relationship is going to be homosexual when that's just not the reality at all. It's Mm -hmm. just not, it's, it's media and culture that makes that reality when it's just not. Um, and so put, if you can, if you have the eyes to see it, push past it. Good. Little, start with little things. Yeah. Thank you for the challenge. Uh, as you look to the future, uh, what are you, what's your desire to see in the hearts and minds of men um, as they listen to this and uh, is how can we change, begin to push back maybe against the tide of passivity and this idea of masculinity that I, I really appreciated your book because it, it gave a great definition of the father and um, yeah, what we look for. So as you look for the future, what, how can we as men um, not just go with the tide and not drift, but rather um, stand up and be men? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think about this a lot. Um, it has been a while now since I wrote being dad and, um, you know, my, my challenge is this in my day-to-day life with the work of 1517, um, my job is to one, run the organization and to two, you know, when I get a chance to speak, um, we're very gospel proclamation centered. And we think that's missing not only in the world and the culture, but often in the church right now. And so we're, we're sort of forward facing with that. And so intentionally we don't do anything that kind of uh, smacks of like modern culture wars. Um, and so, but, <laughs> but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, I, what I said at the beginning, I think is true. I would love to do, and I, and I might think, I might think more about doing it. I would love to do a, a, a work that's basically just a, a statistical work. Um, because I, I actually think if we could get sort of the data out there on 
I mean, if we're, if you're worried about crime, if you're worried about homelessness, if you're worried about drug addiction, if you're worried about, um, early slash dangerous, uh, sexual activity outside of marriage, if you're worried about, um, the decline in numbers in the church, if you're worried about the lack of persistence of children in the church into adulthood, there is literally one answer for all of those. Yeah. That would, that would improve the odds by about 85 to 90%. And that is the role of an active father slash consistent male figure in the lives of children through their entire lives, mm-hmm. through their entire growing up lives. Yeah. Those numbers would plummet. I mean, even here in the United States where, where things are just getting worse and worse and worse on that front, we go farther away from it, right? In the, in the seventies, it was like, even in uh, primarily African-American neighborhoods, it was only, it was only like, a, I say only 20% fatherlessness. Now the average fatherlessness for across all communities is 45 to 50%. Wow. And we wonder why are things, you know, we say this all the time, why are things getting so, so much worse? And you're yeah. like, yeah, it might be a pretty quote unquote easy answer. So I would do that. Um, yeah. Now I'd probably have to do that through, somebody else other than my our own sort of publishing house because we do that's not what we do which is fine but um that and i I would just you know if you're if you're a guy listening to this i don't mean to put this much sort of law on you but just know that you're the key and Hmm. and it's hard and and you're going to need forgiveness for when you fail and you're going to need you're going to need a friend is not afraid to speak the words of forgiveness to you on account of the death and resurrection of Jesus because you're going to fail, right? I'm not putting this out there and saying, well, you better do this or you're not a Christian. That's BS. I don't, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying if you want, if you have a desire for your children to grow up, to be quote unquote successful and to stay in the church, it's you. Hmm. To be engaged. Um, to be engaged. Go at it. Find somebody that'll help you. Find somebody that'll really find somebody to forgive you. It probably can't be your wife. Hmm. Um, you know, you probably need another male friend that will walk alongside of you. You know, C.S. Lewis, Four Loves, that's what male friends do. They walk alongside one another. It's not a face-to-face relationship. Um, and then, you know, you get up every morning and you do it again. But you had kids because you wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And yeah. so at the end of the day, that's, that's now your job until they leave your house, whatever other job you have, even if that other job is missionary, by the way, yeah. um, whatever other job you have, your first job is to be a father. Yeah. Good word. Thank you for the challenge. Scott, will you pray for us today? Um, and sure. pray that the men that, that are hearing this and listening to this podcast will take it to heart and not just have an increased in head knowledge, but but put these put these thoughts into action. Absolutely. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this time to come together. Um, this own amazing technology that oftentimes frustrates me so much has proven itself to be useful today, um, as it does in so many other ways and so many other days, too. Um, for not for getting out a couple of messages um, that I think you would like us to hear. First of all, the message of the gospel that we are saved uh, on account of the personal work of Christ alone, and that He is our only hope for salvation. And we thank you for that. We cannot thank you enough. We not, we cannot be reminded enough of that fact. And two, um, that that fatherhood is literally 
uh, a calling that you instituted at the very beginning, husband and father, um, and that your desire for us is to be fathers who live by your grace. And in living by your grace, we acknowledge that we share that grace with one another, that we share that forgiveness with one another. Give us the courage to do that. Give us friends to support us and to forgive us when we fail and pastors to do the same. And keep us ever mindful of the gifts that you give us every day, especially that gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the life that we have in his name. Amen. Amen.